sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, okay. Well, I'm Nate Larkin feeling unusually energized this morning. I'm looking at a very, very full week, uh, an exciting day. This seems like a pivotal time for me, for Allie, for Samson Society, uh, for my buddy, even for my buddy, Aaron Porter. Hey, Aaron. Good morning. It's morning. <laughs> Say, uh, you and I were together just a couple days ago, uh, just a couple blocks from where Allie and I live here in the thriving metropolis of Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. We were down there at 205 Haylong looking at the property that is under contract. Uh, I've gotten news within the last few minutes that uh, closing, which was supposed to happen last week, was delayed. It's back on for today. We'll see if it happens. Wow, today. Uh, I thought it was going to be Thursday. It's moved up yeah, to, yeah. to what day is today? Is today Tuesday? Today's Tuesday, no, no, isn't it? Today's no, Monday? it is not. Today oh. is Monday. Yeah. Man. Well, welcome uh, to the brain of a person who never leaves the house. <laughs> uh, you know, Allie and I, you know, you know, we prayed about this when this crazy place became available. And uh, rightly or wrongly, we got a distinct impression that God wants this property for Samson Society, and that we were charged with, uh, you know, stepping in to make it happen. I immediately began to try to uh, plan what we're going to do with the property and how it's going to pay for itself and all the different ways it can be used. And, uh, you know, now that it's more and more a reality and we're facing, you know, now we're looking at what, you know, the actual condition of the property, what needs to be done in order to make it suitable for one use or another, man, it's just a very confusing thing. Well, I don't know exactly how it's going to be used. Uh, I just have a deep faith, and Alan and I both do, this confidence that, yeah, God has a purpose for this property. And I'm more and more, Aaron, I don't know. We talked about Samson houses years ago. In fact, this will actually be the second Samson house. I was going to say, this is you getting to take that experience with your old house where guys lived and take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah. So that was back in the early days of Samson Society. And Allie and I moved at that point two doors down from where we were living. And for so for a while, we owned a couple of properties. So there was an overlap there of almost a couple of years. Yeah, and you and, uh, and you still are now in the habit of getting a house within walking distance of where you're living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we opened that up because there were guys in transition, um, you know, who for this time couldn't live at home. And uh, the last thing they needed to do was to be isolated in a motel or a hotel somewhere or just to be drifting around couch surfing, uh, not able to make solid connections or deep have deep conversations on a regular basis. And so wound up with a bunch of those guys living in that house. And then that house kind of became a center of Samson activity for Franklin. Yeah. And uh, what I do see in this property here in Mount Pleasant is kind of a new center, at least locally. And I don't know whether it'll be, you know, regionally or nationally as well, but at least locally, a new center for Samson activity. I'm also very excited. I will tell you, Aaron, things are coming together quickly for a brand new Samson meeting right here. I mean, it'll start in Columbia. For those of you who are in driving distance uh, of Columbia, Tennessee, starting on the 15th of September, there's going to be a Samson meeting. It's going to be Tuesday nights, uh, at least initially in Dan's Barbershop on the square in Columbia, Tennessee. We'll see where it goes from there. Already you got six guys committed. It's so f fascinating watching you make this transition because, you know, 14 or so years ago when I started coming to Franklin and staying at your yeah. house for 10 day chunks, yeah, Franklin felt small. Yeah, You would walk down Main Street and we would inevitably run into at least four or five people that you would stop and talk to. 
Yeah, yeah. But Franklin has grown in, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say in an odd way, just it's grown and doesn't quite have that. But Mount Pleasant is very much that kind of place <laughs> where you're kind of starting over with, you know, yeah. I can't imagine how that place is going to feel, that just community downtown, your neighborhoods. Yeah, I mean, yeah. geez, you, you guys are connecting with your neighbors. I got to go hang out with one of your awesome neighbors that wants yeah. to be a part of this. And I just think it's amazing how God can transform communities through his people yeah. when we participate. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I'm excited in a couple of years to see, I mean, you'll own the whole block. You'll be the Donald Trump of this. <laughs> uh, no. And by the way, I'm not owning this, by the way. Uh, now, Samson Society uh, doesn't, can't, can't own any property. So at least initially, this is owned by Samson House. It's the way we had to do it. Um, Which is the nonprofit piece of the Samson puzzle that helps us put on retreats. Right. and Right. Samson House is an independent nonprofit organization committed to uh, the nurture and growth and health of the Samson Society. Right. So, it, yep. and it's tax exempt and all that stuff. Yeah. So Samson House is going to own this property. Um, so uh, <laughs> when that, that phone rang, that uh, so yeah, so Tom Tom Mocha's got to sign this thing. Uh, you know, I'm coming in. Another guy's coming in. To, you know, to help you know guarantee it. Uh, and then the task is going to be: let's see what God has, and how is this thing going to be self-sustaining financially? Right. And uh, and perhaps here's what I'm hoping, Aaron. I hope that this is really the first of many Samson houses. Yeah. Because as we know, we cannot recover alone. We recover in community. When I look back, I, here's the exciting thing. This meeting that's starting up in Columbia, mm-hmm. two of the guys who are coming are guys who lived in that Samson house back in What? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And they've already heard through the grapevine that there's a new meeting starting in Columbia. Yeah. So I don't know. Let's just see where it goes. It's God's fun. And, yeah. and listeners and virtual meeting folks that, you know, might not have that in-person connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be a place where we're going to set up times for you to come and do a 48 hours of frankness weekend with 15 or 20 yeah. other people. And so just this can become a part of the rhythm of life more easily if you're within driving distance, but something that can be planned for to fly in. Nashville International Airport is the easiest airport to navigate I have ever been to. Okay. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) So. All right. Exciting Uh, exciting stuff. I'm also really excited today about our guest because he uh, is doing such a great job tying in story work, neurology, and the gospel. Yeah. Such a a great guy for that. Yeah, yeah. And you'll hear him when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, and how exciting it is to have with us this week as our guest, uh, the uh, therapist, uh, blogger, a host of the terrific podcast, The Place We Find Ourselves, Adam Young. Hi, Adam. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. It's good to be with you. Where are you from, Adam? I like your hair, but I think it speaks to somehow who you are and your past Help me understand your awesome hair. Uh, well, I, I I don't know. It's been this way for I don't know. I guess since college. Um, I am I I grew up in Connecticut, but I currently live in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is an hour north of Denver. Yeah, yeah. I know nice. Fort Collins well. Well, the home of New Belgium, for whatever that. That's right. Whatever that's yep. worth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and left hand. No, left hand's in in Boulder. Uh, I know more about craft beer than I should. I'm trying to forget a lot of it. Anyway, um, Adam. <laughs> First question I have is, I love the title of the podcast, The Place We Find Ourselves. How did you, how did you come to that title and what import does it have? 
It it means so many different things to me. So um, we could exegete the title for a little bit, I guess. Uh, one thing it means is that all of us find ourselves, you know, for better or for worse, in a particular place at mm-hmm. any given season of, of our lives. And um, it would behoove us to be able to put some language, not just to like, where you find yourself in this season of your life as a human being, but how you got there, Mm -hmm. you know? So that phrase, the place we find ourselves to to me, it begs the question of, okay, well, how did I get here? And that is an invitation to look at your story, uh, to look at where you came from. Like, you know, God asks Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Mm. Uh, So it, 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 it means that I love the, we, the, the place we find Uh ourselves. Uh, I mean, one of the tenets of, uh, story work, which I talk a lot about on the podcast is that Mm -hmm. we need one another to hear and engage our stories in order for me to understand my story. I I can't understand where I've come from and where I am without other people speaking into my life. Wow. Uh, so true. It, it, one of the great encouragements to me, having been now in recovery from sex addiction for low these many years, uh, 20 years and counting, is uh, it seems as though the issues have been clarifying rapidly, especially in the last decade, as things like attachment and trauma and story have come more and more into focus. Um I wonder if you can give us a little bit, uh, give us a thumbnail of kind of your experience in this process, how you got to where you are doing the work you do. Well, um, I uh, was a, a psychology major undergrad because that's what I was interested in. Um, mm-hmm. I went on and got my master's degree in social work right after undergrad. And the day or two after I graduated, um, I knew that I did, didn't know what I was doing, had no idea how to help people. And so we moved to New York city so I could <laughs> but, day but, trade. But, but wait a minute, wait a minute. You had an education. Obviously you knew exactly what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it, what they taught me in grad school was not working on me and I knew I couldn't help other people. I just knew. Yeah. It. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, so you went to New York to be a day trader? What happened? Uh, yeah, so I day traded NASDAQ securities during the day trading craze uh, for oh three years. Uh-huh. Um, and wow. it, wasn't, it wasn't until, you know, a solid, uh, I guess, 15 years after that, that I began practicing therapy. Um, wow. And, and most of that was because I had met a man named Dan Allender and participated Mm. in a lot of the trainings of the Allender Center. And I had begun to engage my story and experience new levels of freedom. And then I realized, oh, I have something to offer other wounded people. So Dan Dan Allender comes up fairly often and certainly with many of our friends. How can you kind of describe the difference between Dan's approach and others in engaging your story in a way that is a healing journey? Well, um, oh boy, that's a big question. Uh, Dan um, places a high emphasis on honesty, Mm. on getting clear about what is going on in your heart, in your body, with your emotions and getting curious about why that might be the case. Mm. So, um, you know, Nate, you bring up sex addiction. Um, There's no such thing as a sex addict. There are people who are addicted to particular kinds of erotic things, particular kinds of sexual fantasies. In other Mm. words, all of our sexual fantasies are different. Mm -hmm. And might there be a reason for that rooted in our stories? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dan's contribution uh, among many, one of his primary contributions is, in my mind, is, Adam, have you thought about your relationship with your mother and father and Mm -hmm. how that shaped you? 
how that wounded you. And when, you know, that was first brought up to me, I was very defensive. I mean, my, my you know, don't take a shot at my mom and dad. I was very loyal yeah, to right. my mom and dad. Sure. Um, and what I've come to realize is that the essence of honoring your mother and father is being honest about what has been true of my relationship with my mother and father. Mm. And mm. so Dan invited me on a journey of looking at my past story, particularly with my mom and particularly with my dad, to understand why I move about in the world the way I do. Mm. Mm. Is there? So a- I imagine. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Nate. So I imagine that as you begin to explore that story, uh, questions of uh, attachment emerge quite quickly. Um, For those of our listeners who are not that familiar with issues around attachment, can you give us a thumbnail sketch, time to get us rolling on this story business? Sure. Attachment simply refers to the way in which you connect relationally with other human beings and initially with the way you connected relationally to your primary caregivers, for most of us, mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So there are various styles of attachment. Uh, There there Mm -hmm. are four kind of categories of attachment, but the short version is you can be what's called securely attached which means mm-hmm. that your brain has developed the necessary struggle structures to self-regulate, mm-hmm. which means you're able to soothe your anxiety and to kind of stimulate yourself when you start to disconnect, dissociate, shut down. That's mm-hmm. called affect regulation. When you have a good enough mom or dad, your mm-hmm. brain as a very young boy or girl, will develop the necessary structures for self-regulation. That makes it very easy to be in close relationship with other adults Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you have an embodied sense of hopefulness whenever there is conflict. In other words, you don't freak out when there's relational conflict. Right. You don't, you don't, like demand that we talk about it right now, resolve it right now, but nor do you isolate, withdraw, write them off, shut down. You're able Mm -hmm. to stay in the relationship and talk things through. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you don't have a good enough mom or dad, you develop what's called an insecure attachment. And there are two basic types of that. One is called avoidant and one is called ambivalent. And in a nutshell, avoidantly attached folks are are those of us who uh, tend, uh, when we were little, we were either dismissed or shamed or uh, rejected any time we had needs, wants, Mm -hmm. desires. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we shut down uh, the connection to our wanter inside. The part yeah. of us that wants, that longs, that yearns, especially relationally. We yes. shut that down. We distanced ourselves from it just to survive. Mm-hmm. And that got us through childhood, but it wreaks havoc in our adult relationships because we can't stay emotionally close to others without getting deeply dysregulated. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mm-hmm. avoidant attachment. Ambivalent attachment is when you had a primary caretaker who was inconsistent and intrusive. And what that means is that, you know, mom was there for you one day, not there for you the next. There for you on Tuesday, nowhere to be found on Wednesday. You know, Mm -hmm. tending to you on Thursday, but on Friday she was so caught up in her own trauma that she was nowhere to be found. And so the child never knows what to expect. So Mm -hmm. a deep sense of uncertainty and franticness develops in the child. And when they grow up and become an adult, it's very hard for them to regulate their own affect, which makes it very hard to be in close, in intimate relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, here's, uh, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, here's the question I have is uh, when you are young and you develop one of these attachment styles, are you stuck with that forever? 
or can you get to secure? And if you grew up and had a secure attachment, but then maybe had some hard relationship, marriage, something like that, can you move from a secure attachment into an unhealthy attachment style? Sure. Yeah. Great questions. Um, no to the second one. This is, uh, nobody's ever asked me that. It's actually a fascinating question. If you, <laughs> here, and here's why. If you are securely attached, your brain has developed descending networks from your forehead area, which is called your prefrontal cortex, down into your limbic brain, which is where emotion and desire and all that stuff resides. And those descending networks let you self-soothe, self-regulate. And mm -hmm. so your brain is healthy. So mm -hmm. as a result, when you experience trauma as an adult, you deal with it and respond to it very differently than somebody who is insecurely attached. And that allows you to maintain a healthy brain and a securely attached style of relating. So, now, so, with regard to your first question, well, so yeah, go ahead. To add to that, so even with that healthy, self-soothing, long-term uh, imbalanced or abusive relationships can still create conditioning that becomes inappropriate ways of thinking and dealing, but there is still a path back to getting to that secure place. Would that be fair to say? I think so, but here's a different way to think about it. S securely attached people marry securely attached people. Mm -hmm. They're not drawn to insecurely attached spouses. Mm -hmm. Now, th the flip side is also true. For those of us who are insecurely attached, I, for example, I am what's called ambivalently attached. Like I will be drawn to insecurely attached people. I won't be drawn to securely attached people. And as a result, the dynamic that you're talking about, Aaron, is just not very common. In other words, uh, securely attached people don't find themselves in domestic violence situations because they don't marry the kinds of people that do that. They marry other healthy people. Mm-hmm. That's who yeah. they're drawn to. Okay. Yeah. So going on to question two, with the healing of the other attachments moving towards securely attached. Yes, you can absolutely heal from insecure attachment. In other words, you can progressively become a more securely attached adult, which is to say your brain can change. You can develop the necessary neurobiological structures for affect regulation, for soothing, for intimate engagement with other people, for hanging in there during conflict, all that stuff can happen because the brain is what's called plastic, i.e. Mm -hmm. it can change. And we didn't know that 40 years ago. We right. know it unequivocally now. Brains can heal. And this is really good news for those of us with histories of addiction or trauma, mm -hmm. because it means that what we bear on a day-to-day -day basis can change. Uh, I noticed, Adam, that you use the word embodied and you're talking about neurobiological systems. And I love the fact that uh, you're pointing us uh, deeper than behavior and deeper than uh, a thought into physiological reactions. Yes. And I gather that uh, when you're doing story work, when you're helping somebody uh, engage their story, work through their story, you are listening, but you are also watching. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Because our bodies <laughs> betray what uh, uh, sometimes what we are not consciously aware of. Is that yes. not true? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So help educate us. So, so, you know, in the Samson Society, for example, um, all of us are encouraged to develop a primary relationship with somebody we're talking with on a regular basis, somebody else walking this road with us, a trustworthy yeah. traveling companion, right? Yep. And, and we are helping each other uh, walk through our stories. Now, if I'm with a brother, I'm his Silas, he's, he is telling me his story. Uh, 
I'm, I want to keep my eyes open as well as my ears. What kind of things should I be looking for? Any shift in facial expression. Because, okay. Because the face does not lie. It can't. You have 42 muscles in your face and they are, uh, your skin is connected to those muscles, which is connected to your nervous system. In other mm -hmm. words, when the person who's telling their story uh, feels something inside, mm -hmm. their face will shift. You don't need to understand or know or mind read, you know, mm -hmm. what the shift means. You just need to say, I just noticed. Yes a shift in your face. I'm wondering what happened for you just now. Mm -hmm. And just be curious with them because what that communicates to them is that you are attuned to their insides. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I have a very skilled therapist apparently because he's asking me that question all the time. <laughs> Good. Yeah. 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 Now I just, I just missed that fascinating piece. But earlier you talked about people becoming curious about their own story. And I want yes. to hear more about how one cultivates that, especially if there are fears about what they might find yes. in their stories. How do you cultivate that curiosity? Yes. Well, Jesus says that it is the truth that will set you free. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Indeed, that has been my experience, not just personally, but as I have worked with, you know, hundreds of other people, I have seen that when they are willing to engage the truth of the story of their lives, they experience new levels of freedom. It can be really scary. Mm -hmm. However, when you are with another person whether it's a therapist, a friend, like, like a Silas person, like you're talking about, Nate, a moment ago, you're not alone in the terror. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, the, the essence of the trauma was not the event itself. It was the fact that in the aftermath of the event, we were alone with our overwhelming emotions. Mm-hmm. There was no one there to offer care, comfort, kindness, help. Mm -hmm. And we were alone. Yeah. When you have another person who can truly be with you in like an Emmanuel God with us sense, who is there with you, tracking with you, listening to you, paying attention to your face, mm -hmm. it becomes a container to bear really unbearable feelings. Wow. This makes me I'm kind of rethinking the way I engage other guys. Now, the, my typical way of walking with a brother is typically is just to walk with him. We're walking side by side. We're both looking straight ahead. I have found that at least in the early stages of a relationship, it seems to me as though it's easier for a guy now to just yeah. kind of spill out that unspoken stuff. It seems safer. Yep. And so I think we get quicker to deeper levels of honesty when I'm not staring at his face. Sure. But what I'm, but, but what I'm hearing now is that as we go on farther down the road yes. and we've now built trust and I'm becoming familiar with the outline of his story and he's becoming more familiar with the outline of mine, we've got a resilient bond between us yeah. now maybe it's time to sit down yeah face to face yeah. and engage a little more directly yes and it's okay to not be a facial recognition expert because it can always just start with i just saw something in your face what are you feeling right now what what was that That's so you right. don't have to have the answer it's That's easy right. to have the question and i would say another tool is to be curious about the word choices that your friends use because we mm -hmm. pick weird words for things sometimes that stick out it's yep. like that was not a gospel way to say that why did you pick that word 
Mm-hmm. But again, being curious and asking the question instead of thinking you know what the answer is for us amateurs. Yes. And the other thing to be paying attention to is not just their face, body language, tone of voice, but be paying attention to what their story is stirring up in your body as you are listening. Yes. In other words, what are you feeling as they are sharing with you about their heartache, their trauma, their present struggle, their past story, whatever they're sharing? What is it stirring emotionally in you? Because there is a, we are created in the image of a triune God, a we and not an I, which means that our nervous systems, our brains are not a closed system. Right. Despite popular opinion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right now, Aaron, Nate, you are regulating me and I am regulating you. Our nervous systems and there, and this is over a freaking screen. Yeah. In person, it's even more co-regulation. We are interactive beings. We are social beings. That's God's fault. That's how God made us. Mm -hmm. And so when you feel something inside as a man shares a little bit about how he was terrified of his dad as a boy, Mm -hmm. it is a gift to let that man know how his story is affecting you in your body emotionally. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there a point or how do I phrase this? We've had a lot of talk recently about story, finding our stories, understanding the whys there seems to be this important transition of, okay, now I'm starting to understand this and it's moving into changing my present, not just so I'm an expert on my past. So what is that point where people can get stuck on the backside of the story and it never changes their present reality? How do you, how does that work? Uh, Great question. The way to get stuck in your story so that it doesn't, lead to change in the present is by not engaging your story. That's Mm -hmm. the only way to get stuck there. Yeah. And I know that's counterintuitive, Yeah, but the, the, what we know from neurobiology and neuroscience is that people who have not looked at their own developmental story are stuck in patterns of reenactment. Mm-hmm. automatically, like that's the starting point for us insecurely attached folks. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to live in the present in new levels of freedom, you have to look at the past. Now, Aaron, if I'm hearing you correctly, like the spirit of the question is, Hey, Adam, if I look at the past, could that kind of like pull me under or like, could I could I kind of get stuck there and not be able to move into the present in healing ways? Well, I, I think I would say because it can be so initially liberating to look at the past and just kind of work through that, that that experiencing the present or knowing how to tie those in sometimes doesn't even cross certain people's minds, it seems. It just is like, let's talk more about the past and, oh, I'm broken in this way and my parents did screw me up. I didn't know. So how do how can people assess whether or not that process is part of their present healing or they're just doing testimonial research? If new emotions are emerging, mm-hmm. in other words, if they are feeling new layers of anger and new layers of grief. Mm. So if your engagement of your story is not affecting you emotionally, i.e. you're not feeling sorrow, you're not feeling rage, you're not feeling shame, you're not feeling, you know, these feelings. You're just kind of reporting it like a journalist would. Yeah. uh, Then I would say there is not going to be healing movement in your heart. So new insight without emotion is a key thing saying, ah, I'm just playing, I'm playing at something now. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. This is turning on an awful lot of lights for me. This is, uh, what a, what a great conversation. 
<laughs> yeah, what I love about this is uh, we're talking about, you know, this, you know, assisting each other in healing, you know, taking seriously the biblical admonition that as we confess our sins to one another, which I think is another way of sharing our story with one another, and we pray for one another that, you know, that healing comes. Uh, you know, when I first, in panic, in a desperate attempt to salvage what was left of my marriage, right. first went for help. Yep. I was looking for information, education, and what I had been served for my entire life until that point was essentially indoctrination. We've got to straighten out your thinking. Think this way. Think this way. Uh, there was very little exploration. Yeah. It's as though I was kind of indoctrinated on where not to look. <laughs> and uh, the amazing thing about Allender, and I, 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 that man has scared me to death a few times. Mm-hmm. There is no place he won't look. He will go with you wherever you invite him. Yeah, yeah. And it takes uh, a real, I think it takes the support of somebody with you. And then it takes this deep understanding and commitment to, and a, a feeling that we are carried by grace and the gospel, right? That we're not going to fall over the edge if we see the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. We're just going after the truth here. That's all. Yeah. Uh, there's another uh, phrase that I, I picked up in one of your blog posts. As I, well, you were quoting Kurt Thompson, I think, where you said that uh, you know, we, uh, I think what, I think it was something to the effect of the one thing that we're all looking for and need is we're looking for the person who is looking for us. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that struck me. And once again, I wish I'm not sure why I had a reaction. I don't know why. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. Kurt Thompson, he's a Christian neuroscientist, and he says, uh, you know, frequently, uh, when when we are born, each of us enters this world looking for someone looking for me. And it never stops. In Mm. other words, again, this is God's fault. God made us deeply relational beings. Yes, which means that I am looking for someone who wants to know me mm. and who is strong enough to handle me yeah, and who will go with me into the dark recesses of my heart and be with me in those scary places. Mm-hmm. Man, that just makes me think when we make that, when we experience that and it becomes a manifestation of God's grace, and we realize that that was the imprinted thing on me so that I could realize that's exactly what he has been doing my whole life, that he has been the one pursuing me and wanting me to sit with him in those dark places, to not let shame or fear of condemnation push me away. But man, it's almost impossible to allow for God to do that until we've experienced the physical manifestation in a brother or sister. Ab, that's a great sentence. And it's a very Pauline sentence. In mm-hmm. other words, this is what Paul is getting at when he says that the church is the body of Christ. He's mm-hmm. not kidding. Yeah. The resurrected yeah. Christ is experienced through other brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to be with me wherever I am. Yeah. 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 Well, well that's damn gospelicious. I like it. <laughs> uh, by the way, I love your biblical and theological breadth of vocabulary. Do you have a seminary education? Where, where are you pulling all this from? You do. Okay. I do. I do. But you know, I, I, 
most of what I've learned theologically didn't happen in seminary, just like most of what I've learned as a therapist didn't happen in social work. So, so Adam, on your face, the same. Yeah, on, on, your, on yeah. your face just then, I almost saw embarrassment <laughs> when you were asked if you had a seminary degree. What what was the feeling that went along with that question? Yeah, that's very that's that's good attunement. Um, I don't know why am I embarrassed about that. Um, you know, I. I my seminary experience, um, it, it was not profoundly transformative. Um, no. it was, it was, um, it allowed me to be a pastor and that's mm-hmm. why I went. But what mm-hmm. I've learned theologically, uh, biblically has come out of my hunger for healing. Yeah. It's drip as a 19 year old when I was depressed and anxious and feeling all these big feelings, I would take my Bible and I would find these Christian books and I would go to a lake on the edge of my campus and I would ask, seek and knock. I was looking for help. I was desperate and desperation Mm -hmm. will drive scholarship and learning. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Nice. And I I can tell you that, you know, as valuable as scholarship and learning are, you know, my experience is my three years at seminary were the darkest of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is there, um, is the, this is slightly, I mean, it's on that topic, but moving it to mm-hmm. a different place. Is there part of you when that question is asked that feels a sense of don't make this answer either something that makes you mistrust me because my experience with Jesus was outside of that or also, don't let this answer make you trust me more than you ought to just because that's there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a seminary degree does in no way equips you to pastor just like, a, a, you know, a counseling degree in no way equips you to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit. Uh, we're going to have to wrap here soon. I really want to encourage all our listeners who have not yet uh, found, been directed to, stumbled upon uh, Adam's podcast, The Place We Find Ourselves, or his blog, go to adamyoungcounseling.com right away. Make contact and uh, start to connect with this man's material. Um, Let me ask you this. Do you feel as though right now you have, uh, you're, you're in a current, a river of mission. You're being carried along purposefully. Yes. Uh, and if so, where, where do you see that river flowing? Or, or are you trying not to look ahead? You're just trying to stay in the river. No, no, I, I, I am looking ahead. Um, here's the place we find ourselves. Okay. <laughs> there, there are lots of people who are willing to look at their stories, engage their hearts and uh, begin to, you know, get new levels of honesty. Mm -hmm. There are not enough trained guides to walk with them. Yeah, yeah. I get so many emails from people desperate for healing, willing to do the work, and there are just not enough trained guides, whether they're therapists or lay leaders that have been trained in story work, to walk with them. So the, the task for those of us who are really committed to this work is how do we train these guides? Yeah. How do yeah. we train the guides so that there is a supply of disciples, of carers to mm-hmm. meet the demand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're moving into the training space? Yes. Yes. Man, that fi- that feels like we should ask our listeners, how did that statement make you feel inside? Did that just like <laughs> perk something up in you? Because maybe you need to get a hold of Adam for a whole different reason than you thought you were listening to this podcast. Yeah. Or if not getting a hold of Adam, is there another place you would direct guys? Yeah. I mean, if people are, are wanting to explore their own story, mm-hmm. uh, one great place to do that is the Allender Center. So it's the theallendercenter.org, and they have two primary offerings that allow you to engage your story. The first is called the Story Workshop. It's a four-day weekend group experience. And the second is called the uh, 
trauma uh, narrative focused trauma care certificate program. I know that's a lot of words, but it's it's a much longer. It's a four four day experience, so four long weekends over the course mm-hmm. of a year. But both are group experiences with a trained guide that give you a uh, an, a context, an environment to engage your story with other like-minded warriors. And mm-hmm. those experiences are sacred. They are so mm-hmm. holy. Where would and, you where would you send people who feel like I've been working on this a long time and I would like to learn how to be a guide? Oh, same place. So after the those two offerings that I just mentioned, they have a level two and a level three that's t- focused on training you to to bring this work to others. And that's not yeah. like Scientology. It will end after a certain level. And uh, oh yeah, it only gets up to level three. Yeah, <laughs> just wanted to make that clear. Well, Adam, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. I know our listeners, this is going to be one of those episodes that gets played and replayed and passed along and shared. Uh, it's so great to meet you. And I look forward to see what God has in the future for how what uh, he's called you to do, what he's calling us to do uh, in, may intersect on down the road. Thank you, Nate. Thanks, Aaron. It's great right. having you. And we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. That was fun. That actually, man, that there were a couple things that Adam said that really hit hard to me. Yeah, okay. What were they? I think... I mean, the last year and a half, I went through so much processing and grief and shame. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. it's been painful. I don't. I'm barely feeling like I'm coming out of that season, but it's been yeah, a really yeah. really hard season. And I think that was encouraging to me. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I was encouraged that I was having those feelings, but I think it was even more encouraging to feel like, Oh, okay. I think I was dealing more honestly with certain things that I hadn't even looked at. And so those were right feelings um, that, that needed to be there as, as hard as it's been. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, I'm usually a pretty emotionally even keeled fellow. Yeah. Um, it's just how I'm wired, but I think it's also, I can get myself to feel even keeled and not have to go there. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. So there's a difference between even keeled and unemotional. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between not being affected by something and repressing something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or hiding from something. Yeah. So yeah, that it was encouraging um, and, and just made me feel like, yeah, this is an important season as horrific as parts of them have been to walk mm-hmm. through. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It really struck me cause I'm, I'm putting this together as we've, I've told you, and I think I've told the audience I'm back, uh, back in therapy. Allie and I are both back in therapy with a, uh, I'm more and more and coming to appreciate Phil's attunement, his skill, you know, he's, he's just, he's just practicing so well with us. And, uh, you know, I'm finding myself getting very emotional during the sessions and I'm doing stuff, you know, that I haven't done before. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I was, I'm sitting there crying. Where's, well, uh, and, you know, I'm getting in touch with more than ever before with anger. And then to hear Adam say, you know, you're making progress. And, and the, he didn't just say when you're feeling something, he picked out two emotions that he said are primary. Anger grief and grief. Yeah. And anger. Yeah, yeah. Which are the two I hate the most and the two I've been so committed to through my entire life to not experience it. See, uh, anger's, anger's always been easy for me. So that's why grieving has been, <laughs> grieving, regret, and shame have been very unusual journeys for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, Phil told yeah. me- 
you know, Phil told me something very interesting last week. He, he's talking about the importance of me getting more and more in touch with my anger because he's, you know, and I'm going, he says, I want you to be more angry. And now what I'm hearing is he wants me to start punching walls and telling people off. And that's not what he's saying at all. He says, <laughs> what, he, what he told me was, you know, we're going to the gifted side of anger and the gifted side of anger is passion. Yes, thank you. Other side of that coin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, this, uh, you know, as your mission becomes more clear, as your gifting is coming into focus, as opportunities are there, you're going to need to tap into all the passion you have in this, you know, as you're coming into the final stretch of this, this life in order to, uh, you know, you know, maximize the experience and maximize your impact and, and enjoy life fully. So <laughs> to become more passionate, I have to be willing to, uh, to be angry. Golly, that's a, that's a big shift for me here. Anger is such a misunderstood, beautiful emotion. Yeah. But because we usually only sit on the rage side and anger becomes synonymous with raging. Yeah. yeah. We miss all those other pieces. It's mm. probably worth a much longer conversation with uh, super smart people. Yeah. yeah because yeah. I think, yeah, you spent your life avoiding that. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. but you never considered what you were losing in avoiding it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. It really I, is. I hope our listeners uh, check out some of his stuff. Check out his podcast. Yeah, sure. He's a smart uh, and gentle fellow. He really is. Uh, with uh, good and reliable friends. I mean, I, I respect his mentors as much as I uh, respect him. And uh, what a great conversation. I can't. You know, I'm, I'm eager to see where this goes on down the line. The future is opening up, Aaron, in wonderful ways. Uh, well, I think we've come to the end of the hour. I do want to encourage our listeners to interact with us. Let us know how uh, you experienced this episode. If you have questions, comments, uh, encouragement, pushback, whatever, take a moment. And uh, drop us a line at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you did enjoy the podcast, do us a favor. Uh, go to wherever it is that you downloaded it from and give us a rating. Uh, give us a nice cat rating, and that will help other people find us. <laughs> Sorry, right. that sounded like a, an old rotary phone next to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Mocha is calling, and I think he's calling probably about the closing. So, uh, with that, let's close this podcast so that we can close the deal on the new Samson house. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Aaron. We are your pal on the Pirate Mode Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.